Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to RMIT's Story Hall. I'm Suzanne Davies, director of the RMIT Gallery, which is immediately below us. We are delighted that you're joining us this evening for the showing of B-Movie, Lust and Sound in West Berlin. For those of you who've been to RMIT functions, you would know, or that it functions that are connected to the gallery, you would know that we address the location of this gallery, and we do so in the spirit of reconciliation. And we acknowledge that this building, Story Hall, located on the land for which the Rwandri and their forebears are the traditional people. And we recognize the cultural and historical significance of this site to those people. We're delighted to be able to present this free screening as part of the Goethe Institute's international exhibition, Guineal de la Tonten, Subculture in Germany in the 1980s, which is on show downstairs in RMIT Gallery, where we also have a, a little taste of Australian subculture of the, of the same period represented in our exhibition, Australian Ingenious Amateurs. The exhibition opened last night and will run till 27 February, which is the night of white night, <laughs> when we will be open for 24 hours, which is a bit of a, doesn't, we all end up very tired. And if you haven't already done so, we urge you to see the exhibition. There's plenty to interact with and some extraordinarily powerful images and sounds and visceral experiences to be had. There's also a major public program that we've attached with our partners, the Goethe Institute, and available at the end of the showing is the invitation, and on the back are all the public programs, which you are most welcome to take part in. As this is a special viewing of the movie, um, which we've, we've been obliged to advertise as unclassified and strictly 18 plus. So if any of you look younger than 18, I apologize, because you would have been asked to present your ID. I'm also obliged to point out that there may be some scenes that, will, that could be a cause for distress for some viewers. So if you are a sensitive soul about certain topics, just a virtual gaze. Oh. <laughs> B-movie Lust and Sound in West Berlin is, we've decided to describe as a wild ride through music, art and social chaos in West Berlin in the 1980s. What we've planned is a short discussion an introductory talk, Artists, Subcultures and Squatters, Berlin at the end of the Cold War, and it's presented by the RMIT's um, European Union Centre. Our speakers tonight, to my right, and some of you I see were here last night, I recognise your faces, Matilda Vey, who's a freelance artist and very talented singer, who works as a consultant for the visual arts division of the Goethe Institute in Munich. Matilda is immediately on my right. Next to her is Professor Alison Lewis, 
Professor of Linguistics at the University of Melbourne and an expert in post-World War German culture and society. She lived in West Berlin for a couple of years at the end, or the start, sorry, of the 1980s. Correct? Yes? I think we took yes. it from your text. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry if that's not right. It's all right, I'm having trouble hearing. You can, you can correct it. And we're delighted that Stuart Braun has been able to join us this evening. He's just flown back from Berlin. He's an Australian writer and a Berlin resident and author of a new book, City of Exiles, Berlin from the Outside In. Stuart moved to Berlin in 2009 and he became fascinated or, with the fact that so many people from outside the city seemed to make it their home. He was particularly attached to exploring why it had such an allure for visionary artists, musicians and other free spirits from around the world. Uh, we don't have copies of Stuart's book tonight. It will be launched on December the 2nd at RMIT Gallery and 5.30 to 6.30 and Stuart will be speaking specifically on that topic. Correct? Correct. Here it is. One copy. <laughs> None of us have had a go at it. Okay. The screening will start immediately we finish. We think about 15 to 20 minutes of discussion. Uh, there'll be no interval. This, the film lasts for 94 minutes and we're anticipating the event will finish at 8 p.m. We're a little bit over time now. Maybe a few minutes later. The last thing. I ask you please to turn off or turn down the tone on your telephones. If you've got them in your bags, just check, are they on silent? <laughs> we always think they're okay, but you know, it doesn't necessarily happen that way. Ladies and gentlemen, our panel of discussants. Well, thanks everybody. Um, We've already been introduced, so we have Matilda here, Matilda V and Stuart Brown on my right. Um, what we thought we'd do tonight is um, take you through Berlin uh, at the time of the 80s, then take you through the music um, and then particularly talk about the bands that are uh, in Matilda's exhibition and um, talk then a little bit about the subcultures and this incredible attraction that uh, Berlin had for you know, basically lots of people, including Australians, including people in Melbourne, and then maybe touch on um, Stuart's book. And then both Matilda and Stuart will talk a bit about the film. Um, now, I just wanted to sort of talk about Berlin in the, in the 80s, because it was still the Cold War. And I think it's, you know, it's something that um, people nowadays sort of tend to forget that it was a really divided city, it was a city with a heavily fortified concrete you know, and barbed wire wall running down the middle. Um, now, it was divided into East and West Berlin, so we had East Berlin, which was still the capital of East Germany. So you know, it still retained its capital status, but West Berlin was in this weird sort of limbo status. It was effectively separated from the rest of um, West Berlin. It was no longer the capital. I think we sort of often forget that now. It was no longer the capital of West Berlin. That was in Bonn. Um, 
So, you know, in many ways, West Berlin was sort of like cut adrift from the rest of the country. Um, you know, it was a bit like a, you know, a capitalist enclave in the, in the middle of this sort of huge, you know, communist, well, a capitalist island, if you like, in a, in a communist sea. Um, and I think that sort of geopolitical framework really affected life in, in both sides of, of, of the city. Um, now, Stuart, I gather you, um, you live now in Berlin, um, but you've written about the 80s in your book, haven't you, and, and what it was like. Um, could you maybe yeah. sort of say something about... Sure, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it was a defining time in terms of uh, the 80s itself. I mean, it, it took so long for the city to you know, I, I suppose, repair after what happened in the war. I mean, it was, it was an apocalypse, essentially. Um, and it was still largely destroyed in the 70s and early 80s as this, this movement, these subcultures came to being. Um, and I think it's important to remember that what had happened, you'd already had all these radicals like the Red Army faction, mm -hmm. and, um, and you had essentially all the, the freaks and radicals and artists from Germany who really were very upset with what was happening in, you know, in West German society. They felt like they'd sold out to the American imperialists. Um, they felt that the Nazis were still running the country, a lot yep. of them as well. Um, and in a sense, you know, that was kind of true. Um, and, well, I mean, denazification hadn't been as thorough. Anyway, they, they had, there were, you know, there were a lot of ex-Nazis who had positions in government and stuff like that. But, but, but apart from that, I mean, that's a bit earlier. Um, but essentially, the reason they came to Berlin was because it was, it was demilitarised from, essentially, from the beginning of the occupation. So if you were in West Berlin, you didn't have to join the army. Um, and at that time, the, uh, all the major industries, you know, Berlin had been the grand Prussian capital. You know, it was a city of four and a half million. It had a million more than it had today, than it has today, even in, in 1930, um, you know, at the sort of yep. peak of the Weimar Republic. Um, and then, so what, the, what happened was all the industry and, and Siemens, all these great companies left. left. There was yeah. nothing left. Uh, there was no work. Um, what there was was uh, kind of refugees and these artists and these radicals who came there because it was so cheap to live and it was subsidised. And to, to keep this capital, capitalist island alive within, again, it was the last bulwark against right. communism, yeah. essentially. Um, and it was the front line of the Cold War, as we kind of, most of you probably yeah. know. Um, the only way to do that was to subsidise it and keep these people there somehow. So they, it was an island, it was a kind of no man's land, and people could just drift around in there and do whatever they want and be whatever, and they could be whatever they wanted to be. And that's kind of the background. I think it's important, you know, and bands that we're going to talk about, like uh, Einstutz and Neubauten, which means collapsing new buildings, was essentially about this kind of this sense of flux and, and but also finding creativity amongst this destruction, you know, at making stuff out of found objects yeah. and stuff. So we'll get onto that, yeah. but I think that's an important background to, to what we're going to discuss and what this movie essentially discusses. Yeah, Matilda, do you want to say something about Berlin? Like, 
from your perspective, from a West German perspective? Because you didn't actually live, you were living in Dusseldorf, I think you said, and in Munich, and, but you now, no doubt went to Berlin a lot. Yes, I, I don't live in Berlin, but um, in Dusseldorf, yeah. and there was a scene too, a music yeah. scene too. But can I speak German yeah. and you, you oh. translate? I think it's better, better for me. You're doing great. You're doing yeah. great. <laughs> You're doing a good job. Um, yes. Well, look, why don't we talk about the music? Because, um, you know, the, the 80s was this, was this incredible sort of explosion of, of, of grassroots music. I mean, what we'd now call independent music, although we didn't sort of use the term back then. It was just these bands um, springing up. In, in Berlin, but also Dusseldorf, Hamburg, Munich. Um, I mean, I was in um, Erlangen at the time studying, and we had our own sort of local bands. And um, so, I mean, what sort of influences, what was influencing the bands? I mean, what's, how would you classify it? How would you describe the music? Because it's, it's quite sort of indefinable in some ways. So I think they, they search uh, another kind of music yeah. in the 80s. And they don't want to play the stadium rock music. Yep, yep, move away from prog rock and from crowd yes. rock. Yep. Yes, um, and, and it was not necessary to, to be a good musician because everybody plays uh, uh, music. The artists, Kunsthochschulen, art students, art students, art students uh, uh, make music films and so on it was genre übergreifend yeah so it crossed over yeah crossover yes. or cross genres and yes yeah. and some good musicians uh, played another instrument to be not too too, too, too good too, too, oh. too professional so that's sort of a technique that you get in in art isn't it that you know yes. people that can actually yes. train artists but yes. deliberately paint with their left hand or their other hand and so you're saying yes. that musicians play the, yes. the instrument that they were least good at. Yes. Oh God. And they, the, the lyrics are in German, not in English. Yeah. I mean, I remember 80s. at the time that was a really big thing because I was there in the early 80s and, you know, that they were singing in German. But I mean, were bands singing in English before or was it just a bit of a tendency to sing in English? I mean, yes, Kraftwerk. Kraftwerk sang. Kraftwerk was a little bit earlier in the 70s, yeah. yes, that's right. But uh, normally they, they, the groups sing in English, sang in English, yes. For, to, to, to be more successful yes. in the international yes. market, yeah. Yes. So, so the German language is really important. Um, they didn't aim to be sort of successful and they weren't partic at all interested in commercial, you know, getting commercial deals or record deals, were they? That's right, yes, yes. They only want to make music and to experiment, uh, to make experiment, experimental music, uh, and it was not necessary to be to be uh, what is it called um, virtuos. virtuos. Yeah, you didn't actually have to be good at your instruments. <laughs> yeah. and, and also because yeah. because you could live in, especially in West Berlin, without any money. Essentially, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the state basically paid your rent. And you could survive on, on nothing, which helped as well. So you didn't need to be successful. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know. And the Einstürzen in Neubauten, they had, have had no money and they played with, with other things. With, with that's right, they uh, sort of improvised their instruments. Yes, and, yes. And, and then, of course, in East Germany, they just didn't have, you know, technologically sort of modern 
you know, amplifiers are really hard to find. So they, you know, I've, I've seen in your exhibition there's um, um, a drum kit, which uh, I think is a dr is is a um, a plastic yes. drum yes. filled with yes. junk filled with stuff and filled with with Lego stones and oh, with Lego, stones Lego, Lego, Lego pieces. Okay, yeah. yeah. So they had, and I know some of the bands instead of amplifiers, they use sort of radios and and things like that. I think. Yes. They they build their uh, instruments themselves. Yeah. So in terms of style, it was a, a real hodgepodge or you know, völlige Mischung von Stilrichtung, a bit of punk, post-punk, industrial, electronic. Yes. Were there sort of separate you know schools, or was it all just pretty much? You know, anything goes. Um. Yes, but we in the exhibition we have seven bands. They are really, as I think, ganz anders. Yeah, they're all quite different. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. The yes. scene wasn't so defined. I mean, in terms of musical, there was no genre. Uh, it crossed over. Most the, the most important thing is that, as they say a lot in the exhibition and. I've got Blixer quoted here in the book and stuff, was that there are no boundaries. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it was about, you know, as you say, but it was, it was avant-garde as well. It was experimental, but it was intellectual as well. It wasn't in this punk thing of just DIY, you know, yeah, we can yeah, do whatever yeah. we want. Yeah. It was very intellectual and they, they drew on, you know, the 20s kind of Russian avant-garde and, and Walter Benjamin even, and mm -hmm. it was quite actually sophisticated in a way, in the way they were sort of approaching this. It was, a, it was, an, art, it was an art installation, essentially. It was the beginning of the performances and, and the videos and the music videos. The Tödliche Doris, the band Tödliche Doris works with uh, a performance and with... Uh, That's right, it was the more, yeah, the more of the happening performance yes, art happening, end of it. Yes. Um, they were all from art school, weren't they, from that band? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And the band Der Plan from Düsseldorf too. Were art yes. school, yes. Yeah. yes. And the lyrics were um, ironic, yep. ironic lyrics and um, very special, very special. Um, yeah, the, the names of the bands too are, are sort of fascinating. Um, you know, like the the FSK Freiwillige Selbstkontrolle, which is voluntary self-control, which um, is a, is apparently a, a form of uh, a classification used in cinema to you know for mature audiences. I mean, so you know they're very playful titles. Self censorship. Self censorship. Self censorship. Yeah. <laughs> or. Um, um, yeah, Einstürz and Neubau, and, you know, the collapsing new buildings. So how do you translate that in your book? Collapsing new buildings, yeah. I love it. Mm. It um, just sounds so bizarre. Yeah, well, I mean, it was, I mean, that was a very political comment on also the state of housing, the fact that they were, they were getting all these uh, sort of... They were selling off a lot of the, the old tenements and getting um, West German property developers to build all this dodgy housing and stuff um, and he could see through the sort of politics of that and what was driving that and um, he was sort of making a comment yeah. he, he's yeah. saying that there was very bad quality prefab buildings that were probably going to fall down yeah. um, as quickly as the war brought them <laughs> brought down the old city yeah. kind of thing um, but yeah yeah and then you've got the Deutsche Amerikanische Freundschaft the German American friendship which I don't know how do you read that I mean what I mean, I sort of see that I as... I think it is ironic. Yeah, yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a commentary on Germany, West Germany's position in, you know, in NATO as, you know, close ally of the Americans and the, you know. And you have a band, we have a band, they came from uh, East Berlin. Yeah. It's called Ornament and Verbrechen. Yeah, Ornament and Crime. And Crime, <laughs> yes. Right. And, and they were not allowed to play in East Berlin because of the name. <laughs> yes, that, The Piraten gigs, what is it called? They what? played Piraten gigs. Oh, pirate gigs, that's a cool term. Pirate I haven't gigs, heard of that. Pirate gigs. Well, of course, the East was a complete, had its own subculture, its own music culture, but wasn't quite as rich, from my understanding of it, um, because, of course, in the East, everything had to be approved by the state. If you wanted to get a gig, you had to hand in a song list, you had to, you know, and, and you actually had to be a registered musician, you had to be a professional musician, so, you know, most of the bands in West Berlin wouldn't have been registered if they'd been in East Berlin. But, so when did Ornamental and Verbrechen play? Was that towards the end of the regime? End 80s. of the 80s? It was more the end, wasn't more it? More in the end of the 80s, yes. yes. Mm. I think um, it's interesting that you talk about, I think they were quite deprived of uh, access to music. They were able to listen to the radio and, and in, the, in West Berlin. Um, but it's interesting that the, the main character in this film that you're about to see, Mark Reeder, yep. who the, the narrative is formed around, he's an English guy from Manchester who came to Berlin, um, to West Berlin in 1978, um, and he's still there, and he's done a lot, a lot of amazing things, and you'll see some of his story here, but he, um, he was very interested in what was going on in the East, and I think a lot of foreigners were. For the West Germans, it was more difficult in a way, and they, I think they were conflicted. Um, but he was mm. the first guy to go over there regularly and start to, to try and join up the subcultures. And he put the first ever illegal uh, gig with a punk band on in 1982 in East Berlin. Um, we don't really, he doesn't really go into it in, yeah. in a B-movie, but uh, the Die Toten Hosen, the Dead Trousers, played um, uh, in a, in a, it was a, basically in a church hall in uh, 1982, and he did it again a few years later. Under mass, I mean, it was a major operation, and he could have gone to jail for a long time for, for doing it, but um, uh, that, yeah, I mean, that was, sort of, that was sort of part of the movement in a way. That was the kind of thing you did, you know? Um, and it was just about solidarity again and just doing it. Um, yeah. But they are very famous now in Germany. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Tottenhausen yeah. are. The yeah. are very famous. So were all the bands... We're, we're about done, I think. Okay, right. Yeah. All right. Um, well, um, now, um, would, we'd like to, would you like to say something about the Mark Reader? You said um, that you have interviewed him. And, uh... Well, yeah, I mean, just quickly, a bit of background about the film. Mark Reader, he's, uh, I interviewed him for this book, and um, I talked to him also about the film... Um, He did a lot of, he did some documentaries for BBC and radio, uh, sorry, for Channel 4 in the early 80s. And um, he, uh, he had all this amazing footage that he thought was lost, he'd forgotten about. And there were all these other guys um, from the West Berlin scene uh, who, you know, discussed the idea of trying to bring some, put something together. And I think they discussed it with you, didn't they, a few years ago. Um, But it was actually a lot of this footage that you'll see actually came from Mark um, and the work he'd done on English TV. And it's sort of, it was lost. They thought it was lost and they somehow found it in the archives. Um, and uh, that's, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of see him, him comparing stuff with another British woman. 
So is it sort of a, it's not a straight documentary, it's got all this original footage, but it's a... I, I think it's not a straight It's not a straight documentary, no, right? No, no. <laughs> okay, is there anything else you want to say about the film? About the film? Okay, well, uh, we're really looking forward to seeing it. <laughs> I think you are too.